Hello and welcome to the Open Labour Podcast. My name is James Gibson and I'm joined today by Tessa Milligan. Hi Tessa. Hi. Tessa, I'm sure listeners will know because you've been on the podcast before, but you're the chair of Open Labour, are you not? (laughs) That is right. (laughs) Good, good, good. My research uh, has paid off. Not that I don't spend time talking to you anyway and didn't uh, didn't know that. Uh, And I'm joined as well by Abby Berinsky. This is your third time now and and you've joined us as a co-host with Tom and myself, haven't you? I think so, yeah. I think the first time I came on was actually the conference special last year and I was a guest. And then I've covered for Tom in, God, like June or something. So, yeah, this mm. will be like my third time on the podcast, I think. Hi. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you both here. Thank you. Um, listeners will know that it's been a little bit of time since we lasted our podcast. And the reason for that is we sort of had a bit of a conversation about how we're going to run the podcast going forward. And we've decided that just Tom and me running it and inviting guests on was fine. But actually, it would be more exciting Uh, if we had a pool of people that will run the podcast or feature on the podcast just sort of dipping in and out whenever the um, whenever anybody's free to do it so that we can have much more frequent podcasts hopefully uh, fortnightly so we're hoping to get a pool of five or six people and really pleased to say that Tessa and Abby have agreed to stay on as part of the team and so is Tom as well we're now looking for another couple of people to join the team and that will form the the podcast co-host team going forward and we'll have lots more podcasts coming your way so now that I've explained why there's been such a long gap and it has been a long gap I think we should move on to what we're here to talk about today and that is it's exciting it's a Labour Party conference of course um, and then we shall finish off by talking about the Conservative Party conference we had a little bit of a natter about that before we started the podcast and there really isn't that much to say about the Conservative Party conference I did say that we we're going to moan about it but actually I think it's a moment to celebrate the um, implosion of the Tories but before we get on to that and I really am looking forward to that. Let's start by talking about the Labour Party conference. I don't know who wants to start first. There is so, so much to talk about. I mean, we're all, all three of us were there. What, what do you think? I, I thought it was wonderful. Well, I have to say, like, I remember last year was my first conference actually ever. And I went last year and it was great and it was a really good atmosphere, but it was very much still quite reflective on what went wrong. It was Keir Starmer's first conference. He was sort of setting out his stall, seemed a bit maybe unsure of himself, whereas this time we've got a massive poll lead, we're getting closer to a general election. So it really felt for me, as someone who's been quite critical maybe of the leadership so far, like they finally like got some confidence and come into themselves. We had some brilliant radical policy announcements, Mm. such as rail nationalisation, energy coming under public ownership, And there was just such a celebratory attitude. It felt for the first time in a while like we had something to gather and celebrate. And that that was a really great atmosphere. Yeah, it was bouncing, wasn't it? What do you think, Tess? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, so, so much of like Labour Party politics has has not just been sort of shaped by, um, you know, leaders coming in and out and what's going on in government. But also COVID did have a huge impact. And I think the first conference since COVID was almost like cautious, mm. just the optimistic and people hadn't seen each other in person for a long time and all that kind of thing. Whereas this one, like Abby says, it just hugely felt like a celebration. It felt like we were starting to set out our stool for the next election. Um, 
it also felt like Labour was unafraid to embrace big ideas. Yes. That, that we're willing to argue for public ownership in energy. We're willing to argue for nationalisation of rail. And a lot of these fundamental issues that, that go to the heart of not just how do we stick, stick a sticking plaster over some of these problems, how do we like fundamentally reshape those sorts of industries and things like that to serve the country long term. So it was great to see Labour embracing those those sorts of ideas. Yeah, definitely. Now then, I've I had a theory for quite a while and I don't know what you guys think about it. But, but I, I've been <laughs> I've been with you, Abby, and relatively I wouldn't say critical of the leadership, but certainly I, I'd I, say I describe myself as a critical friend. I want Labour to do really well. That doesn't mean I'm going to blindly agree with everything they say and put out. Well, quite, and you know that that very much speaks to our values as open Labour. You know, we yeah. believe in open debate, and that means yes, we we support the leader of the Labour Party and the leadership. However, we we embrace the idea of debate and critiquing policies and critiquing positions, um, hopefully with the view of enhancing those positions and, mm. and forwarding the Labour movement and the Labour Party Labour Party on. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And I, I've taken a similar position, but always wanted Keir to do well because he's the leader of the Labour Party. And if yeah. he does well, that means we're getting closer to a Labour government. But I, anyway, back to my theory. So I've always oh, thought that it was almost impossible for Keir Starmer and the Labour Party to really plant the feet and come out with a policy platform whilst Boris Johnson was leader of the Conservative Party because he didn't have any ideology and he just triangulated on absolutely everything. So any policies that the Labour Party would come out with, Boris Johnson would just steal them. I mean, you know, all Conservative orthodoxy went out the window with Boris Johnson. So the minute that... I, I, I always felt that the minute that either Boris was forced to come out with a, a policy platform because of his incompetence, the, the Conservative Party would force him to do that uh, or kick him out. Or if there was a new leader of the Conservative Party, they would have to set out the stall and the vision. And at that point, the Labour Party would be able to come forward and really say what they believed in and, and say what, and Keir Starmer would be able to say what he believed in. Now, that's an op that was always an optimistic view. And people said, no, Keir didn't, start, didn't believe in anything. But I mean, I feel vindicated, but it might just be a matter, matter of circumstance and it might be the good work that other people have, have done to move him to certain positions. What do you reckon? I do take your point. I think Boris Johnson was very much, this is going to sound ridiculous, so like, sorry, you've got a Gen Z on the podcast, but he was very much a vibes leader, you know, like he got by on personality. Like I remember when he was mayor of London and I was like 12, he was this big like cartoon type figure almost that you'd hear about in the news oh look the guy with the funny hair is doing something funny again haha -ha. um and I think charisma and like I said vibes is what really carried him through throughout his premiership and like you said it's hard to go against that with policy because if you're just you know coming out with we're gonna do x y and z and he's coming out with well like I'm hilarious vote for me what can you really do but Liz Truss Someone on Twitter the other day, I can't remember who it was, credit to who it was, um, said that she's very much, she speaks in sound bites, which is why she performs so horribly in interviews, because if she can't say a soundbite, she's got no clue what she's doing. She tries to be that same, you know, vibes leader, charisma, but she's, I've seen cardboard boxes with more personality than Liz Truss. So do we think then that the suite of policies that came out through conference 
that is what Keir Starmer believes in. And we can take these policies as indication of where Keir Starmer will take the take the country. What do you reckon, Tess? I think um, I think in terms of policy, it's less about the man at the top, because I do think Keir Starmer's sort of political journey was actually quite early. Like he, he hadn't been an MP for very long before he came leader. And so I don't know that he yeah. did have a sort of very certain vision. But in a way, I think that's benefited the party in some ways because it's really he's had to really draw on the strength of the policy makers on his front bench to put together the Labour programme. And in a way, it's kind of given Labour a bit of flexibility in that sense, because we don't have this hardline ideologue. You look how that's turned out for the Tories, having a, someone who does have a very, very strong sense of what their vision for the country is. And it turns out it's quite out of step with some of her own party and with the country. Whereas in Labour, I got a real sense of this is a platform and a programme which is being put together by quite a pluralistic, broad team. And you could see, you know, the touches of the soft left in that programme. You see it with mm, the, the nationalisation of, of rail um, and, uh, and you know, the, the public-owned energy and the very um, ambitious target for net zero by 2030 um, and a lot of that sort of, like, stuff, I think, I think showed that. Um, and I also thought as as a leader, he seems to be a lot more comfortable and a lot more relaxed. And, you know, when you actually take away the substance of the speech, his delivery was very relaxed. He really looks like someone who is ready to kind of step into number 10. And it was such a contrast watching Liz Truss's speech, which firstly was about half the length of Keir Starmer's, very light on substance. And she, she didn't look comfortable at all. She looked like she was like doing a school assembly for the first time. It was awkward. Where I'm going to bring it? you back now, Tess, because I, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying, but I want you to talk about that in the um, the Conservative Party bit. Because <laughs> that's, look, there's so little to say about the Conservative Party conference that if we talk about it now, then we literally won't have a section. I mean, it was it was an absolute <laughs> joke of a conference. Um, yeah. What I wanted to ask you two about, I think this is really indicative of the state of the party of our party that um all 17 um motions discussed at the party conference on the floor this year passed um each and every one of them and they are pretty PR. To, yeah, well pr which we've been pushing for and i'd like one of you to talk about that definitely but they're all pretty they're pretty center left policies so i mean things like uh, workers pay at 50 um, at 15 pounds that was the workers pay motion it was composite motion investing in infrastructure two which gives unequivocal support for uk workers taking strike action for pay infrastructure that was important yeah, absolutely it was. Investing in infrastructure one, which is essentially taking things back into public ownership. I, I think it does anyway. I'm, that might have been growing the economy one or growing the economy two, actually, motion. I would suggest to re um, listeners that they go and look at all the motions that passed at conference. They are pretty, pretty good motions, pretty good policies if we adopt them. And it's pretty much what open, <laughs> where Open Labour is as, as an organisation. So I think, that's, I think that's wonderful. Does somebody want to talk about PR? Because that's a big thing for Open Labour. And Tess, Abby, I know you guys worked really hard on this. So, you know, let's I talk about it. I give all the credit to our friends in Labour for a New Democracy and Tess and Alex. 
um, and Kieran when he was on the committee. I think they've kind of led the light in that. Um, and I'll pass over to Tess because I think she's had much more of a hand in working for this than should take nice. credit yeah, and get to talk about <laughs> it. Yeah, the, the biggest challenge sort of for the last few years has been bringing together a coalition of different tribes and traditions in the party who can unite around this idea. And the way that this passed overwhelmingly on conference floor is testament to that sort of pluralism and shared working. I spoke at the the PR rally at conference and um, loads of other people from other parts of the party and the trade union movement did. So we had people from Labour to Win and Labour First. We had people who were more momentum-y. We had people who were, you know, more sort of hard left uh, in the party or within their unions. And everyone was united around this vision for electoral reform and PR. Um, so it was it was a really wonderful space to share in that. There's also been a great deal of working to get trade unions to pass um, motions at their own conferences that was really, really key to delivering this win at Labour Party conference. But I don't know if you saw the footage of, you know, the vote on conference floor in the members section, but it was like hands up, like across the room. There was no... I was there. I was a delegate. Yeah, it was overwhelming. The, the key now is, yes, it's now conference policy. How do you make sure that it's in the manifesto? How do you get a real commitment to electoral reform? And let's not take our eye off the ball. Obviously, it's amazing to see Labour's poll leads. It's fantastic. It, we're looking now at the very real prospect of a Labour majority government now at the next election. But let's not take our eye off the ball about the long-term goal here, which is you know, making our democracy fairer, making sure voters are heard across the country, um, that we don't essentially have uh, a sort of rigged system in some regions um, under first past the post. Um, let's make it fair. So as our Open Labour PR guru, uh, which we're very privileged to have on, on our podcast team, have we got a vision for what PR would look like? Because there's PR and then there's PR. You've opened a can of worms here, James. This is a separate <laughs> podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, briefly then. You're right, Abby, and I apologise, but, you know, no, we're, no, we're on not. it. <laughs> since we're on Tessa's the subject. got to answer. Tessa's got to answer. She's on the spot. Well, Listeners can't see, but the face you just made was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing is, I'm very wary that I don't want to commit us to one particular system or another because I don't think we actually have policy on the exact PR position that Open Labour has but I think the key thing is it needs to retain the constituency link in some way um, whilst Good. also being a sort of fair assistant because you do have MPs at the moment who don't even command majority support in their constituencies they're there because it's sort of like a the first horse race sort of thing and first past the post is just whoever gets the highest percentage. You don't actually need 50% of your constituents to vote for you. Um, and I think... Well, I don't have 50% of my constituents who vote for me either, so, <laughs> so I know so I know what you mean. <laughs> Careful, I'll be on my way to deselect you, James. <laughs> so I, I think it would be good to keep the constituency link. And I think the other half of this is the House of Lords. I think yes. it can't stay an unelected chamber. And I think there's a real opportunity there for it to be a kind of senate of the regions and nations and and sort of enhance devolution in that way and, and tie devolution to pr so i think there's a lot of different ways of doing it 
um and i personally i don't really have a preference i obviously like stv and i think you know i think that's a good system when we use it in open labor but um i think that's that's sort of like the next part of the debate the first part is get labor to commit to electoral reform and and to ditch for the first past the post to make that history and then they and then labor can decide you know or the gordon brown commission or whoever's gonna sort of do the research to what would be the sort of fairer system because lots of countries have different ways of doing it and we do have forms of pr in our in our devolved parliaments and assemblies in in the uk so you know that work well absolutely yeah. well said tess okay that's wonderful let's move on um because we, we did commit listeners to having shorter podcasts around half an hour rather than the hour-long ones that we used to do we did have a Probably debate they've got me as a co-host who will just talk so you tell me to <laughs> shut up so well I'm, well I'm taking the role of a chairperson abby so you know i might come across as harsh but i'm, I'm trying no, to stick no, to I'm the just, 30 I'm minute thing <laughs> so let's talk about the policies that were actually announced then we can pretty much guarantee that they're going to be in the manifesto again same sort of vibes really but quite a, a little bit more to the center i would say we're sort of on the on the spectrum I think that from the floor was more to the more to the left and certainly to um, to my liking um, these weren't quite as um, radical but there were still some very very good policies there that I think we can all be very proud of Tessa you mentioned a couple of them but what, what are your guys favorites rail nationalization hell yeah very sorry much so. I answered that so quickly <laughs> yeah, uh, well, my you, uncle right, works yeah. on the rails my granddad works on the rails he worked on it when it was British rail and then obviously now it's not uh because it's been privatized his whole life so like i have basically grown up knowing the ins and outs of the pre and post privatization rail system and yeah absolutely nationalize it i'm so excited about that it's also a really hard one for the tories to argue against because they can say oh we're not for nationalization we're not for public ownership of rail but they have done that in government they've brought northern rails under public ownership now exactly they've 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 done it because they're because the private system in that region has completely and utterly failed and collapsed and they've had to step in and bring it under public ownership so it's it's also a really hard one for them to argue against yeah certainly is it benefits the workers who are working on the rails because they get like better hours better contracts and it benefits like consumers who are using the rails because it's for you know public benefit rather than like just solely for profit so it's a better consumer experience and I think I think that's really good I'm really happy about that that's the other thing is it does tie into the cost of living crisis because if you're not running key services for profit and they make enormous profits off of off of selling rail tickets to like commuters for example you're looking at basically a kind of automatic discount and suddenly people looking at a lot more lot more money in their pockets if they're spending like a third of the price on rail tickets every month to to get to um and you're also going to see less people using cars if they've got a rail system that's affordable and that they can get around to different parts of the country another policy which i really liked was um labor's policy on childcare, the free breakfast clubs which also included free breakfasts which uh, i think sort of is one of those kill two birds with one stone moments i'd like to see labor go further on that and i think a key part of this policy that that st- stands out to me is it's it's broken this idea that childcare shouldn't be you know universal 
these are universal breakfast clubs. They're not means tested. They're not, you know, limited uh, vouchers you have to cash in. There's no bureaucracy attached to it. It's you drop your kid off at breakfast club, they get the free meal, you get the free childcare. And it's nice and simple. And I really think Labour should have a long term goal of moving towards a universal and funded childcare system because the cost of childcare and also even just finding childcare, nursery places, things like that. So much is shut down during COVID and it's so unaffordable. I really think childcare is the big ticket item that the next election will be won on. Yes. Yeah, totally. I want Labour to get there first before the Tories do. I'll also add to your point because that's I completely agree with everything you've said I think it's really important another big bonus of it not being means tested the free breakfast thing Mm. is that finally there's a policy that doesn't exclude kids that are on free school meals and make them other like absolutely it's not oh well you're obviously poor because you come and get free breakfast in the morning no we all get free breakfast like it's not othering children from low-income backgrounds and I think that's so important and it's so helpful for you know children feeling confident and happy and secure in school of course it is um okay for me then I mean I'm going to give a shout out to Hillsborough Law but that's not my pick but it's not my fave Hillsborough Law which I think is really um really good policy a good social justice uh, policy it's um it's a law aimed at holding public authorities accountable following tragedies is also the new football regulator as well but I think for me it's the renters reform charter from Lisa Nandy. So it's about yeah. building new uh, new generation of social housing and also having a renters reform charter for um, for renters. So listeners will know because I mention it every every podcast. In fact, I mention it all the time in every speech I do in the council or whatever. I always mention it that I'm a that I'm a social worker. People get fed up of of me you saying that. It at the pub too. <laughs> yeah, wherever um, you know, I should just wear a sticker saying I'm a social worker. Really. But, uh, you know, today somebody, one of my clients rang me up and um, two kids with one with learning disabilities, one with autism, and they've just been kicked out of their um, property or served notice. They, you know, they're having to put them in emergency accommodation as a result. And we we just can't find them a new property because rents are so high. A three bedroom properties, called housing benefit just doesn't cover anywhere near the market rate, even in the north of England. So I think the housing benefit would cover about 550 pounds. But the market rate, and, and this is in Kirklees, you know, it's not the, the most affluent of, of areas. And that's that's a broad sweeping statement. Of course, there are some very affluent areas in Kirklees. But the area that we're looking for this family, the average rent for three bedroom properties between 800 and 900 pounds are so totally unaffordable. So this this needs to happen. There is a housing crisis out there in, in my role as a counsellor. You know, I, I must get five emails a week from people that have been on a housing register for, for three, four years because they're living completely unsuitable overcrowded accommodation and there just isn't anything else out there so this can't happen too soon for me so that's my pick is there anything else we want to say about Labour Party conference I mean we could do a podcast for hours about it because it was good and there's so many good policies and we could go through and talk about all the policies but any closing comments as much as I love conference the vibe was amazing um I love I really enjoyed our rally it was really great to speak to people there um and it was a great atmosphere i don't want us to get overconfident there was a touch of overconfidence at conference and i don't want us to be complacent that because the tories are crashing and burning 
we'll, the public will just hand over the keys to number 10. We still have to put the work in, particularly to articulate our programme. It's something that honestly we weren't very good at in 2019 because we hadn't put in uh, the years of campaigning on our on our top lines. We just sort of turned up a couple of months before election day and said, here's our shopping list of things. This is an opportunity for Labour now to spend the next 18 to 24 months setting out our policy programme, doing the broadcast rounds, um, doing all of the grassroots stuff locally. Um, and, you know, selections are going on at the moment, so we'll know who our candidates are going to be in a lot of seats, you know, and that work will start immediately. So I just don't want us to get complacent. That's my only... No, let's learn from 1992. Abby? Yeah, I think... I was going to say, I think Tessa's comments really fair. I was going to do some shameless self-promo and uh, plug the Open Labour rally. It was absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah, it was. Other than the fact that we had amazing free food, the chilli was banging. Um, <laughs> the venue, it just, it was such an amazing like atmosphere. The venue was totally packed out. Like, there were people stood up at the back. Um, really good conversations going on. The speakers were brilliant. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it back on Facebook. If only, if nothing else will draw you into watching it back. The part where Armin was making, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get through this without laughing. Armin was talking and he was talking very seriously about the Ford report. That's something he's really passionate about implementing. He was doing an amazing job. But then he started to talk about the private <laughs> conference. And he was, what his point was, was that for the first time he feels confident and he's refer looking at people and thinking, oh, you're not the shadow minister for X, you're the next minister for Y. Um, but what he actually said was, and like, I'm thinking, Alex Sobel, you're the next minister for whatever it is Alex Sobel does. <laughs> and that was absolutely hilarious. That sent it me. So uh, if no, if there's no other reason for you to watch it from Libra Ali, and there's a ton that you should watch it, let that be the reason, because that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> he was good, Armin, wasn't he? Um... He was, he was amazing. Paul Martin came as well, didn't he? He announced no, that he Mason. wanted to be an MP. Paul. Paul Mason, Paul Martin. Paul Mason came and announced that he wanted to be an MP, didn't he? Im um yeah. Impromptu. Yeah, it was good. And the chilli was good, you're right. OK, great. let's move on to the bit we all love. Let's bash the Tories. The contrast between our conference and their conference couldn't be starker, could it? No. It's, it's a weird feeling, I think, being a Labour supporter right now, because obviously we're all ecstatic that we're getting closer and closer to a Labour government. It's a really exciting prospect. It means we're going to be able to, you know, kick the stories out and put some of these good policies in. But, you know, if there's not a if there's not an early general election, we've still got over a year to go until we can do that. And this winter, there's going to be, the worst things get for the Tories, the worst things get for all of us, because they're only going to get more extreme, which means this winter, there's going to be people who have to choose heat or eat or neither because that's the way costs are going there's people who are losing their jobs people who just you know cannot afford to live anymore so there's that sense of oh we're getting a labor government which is great but there's also a real deep sense of dread and concern for even like my own family like how, how are we going to pay our bills this christmas and that's totally yeah. kind of the balance i think needs to be struck in these kind of conversations yes Yes, I, I agree. And it's, um, yeah, we must always remember that. I had sort of three quick takeaways from Tory party conference, which was obviously Liz Truss has hugely overplayed her hand and the lack of party discipline now is mm. like through the roof. 
Um, I thought a funny bit was when Jake Berry, the party chair, did his speech and he said, what a conference this has been. And the audience started laughing and he said, oh, that wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> um, there were so many moments like that. Uh, there was a real sense of, uh, of what the hell is going on amongst the membership. The other thing was, you know, I touched on it earlier, the substancelessness of Liz Truss's leadership. I mean, her speech was 25 minutes. She had mm. nothing to say. That's, that's the clearest indicator she has nothing to say. And, sec and, and finally, um, at the fringes, it was quite revealing who was bigging up this mini budget and the ideas in it. Um, you take like there was an IEA event where the chair of the IEA was interviewing the chancellor and um, the chancellor sort of made a point. Um, uh, he said something like, don't distance yourself. There's no need to distance yourself, Mark. Um, because it's funny now, uh, the sort of groups that have been pushing for this quite uh, distinct economic vision, which has proven itself to be a total failure, um, more than a failure, it's proven itself to be damaging. Those individuals are now distancing themselves from this trust, having spent years um, trying to shape her politics and 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 being a sort of stakeholder in her politics and in her leadership campaign. So uh, it would be interesting to see where it goes from here, because where is she going to glean her mandate from as her allies desert her? Yeah, I totally agree. I think for, for me, I, I did a bit of research before, before we did this podcast, just trying to find out, because I'd not heard any policy announcements, really. So, you know, I typed, typed into Google Labour Party policies from conference, and it's just pages and pages of articles and you know lists of policies and discussion about each individual policy i did, did the same for the conservative conference and it was like two or three articles came up and then the rest of the articles were from like two you know last year and the year before and the year before that i mean it was so difficult to try and find any media analysis of the new policy announcement at conference and obviously the reality is that it was there was more policy U-turns than policy enhancements. I mean, it, it beggars belief, doesn't it? I mean, what an absolute shambles. And it really does sort of point to where we are as a country. And no wonder everybody's feeling feeling worried, and, and not just the markets, individual people. I must say, for me, the thing that really frustrated me, actually, I mean, the entire thing was frustrating. I mean, you can never listen to a Conservative speak and it not be frustrating, really. What other emotion would you feel? But Liz trusted, um, she bashed Leeds schools again. So Liz Trust um, studied in Leeds. She grew up in Roundhay, which, if you don't know Leeds, you may not know, is a very, very, very affluent part of Leeds. I mean, property prices in around there are sort of around the 500, 600,000 mark, pretty average. That's where she grew up. She went to Roundhay School, which is a good school. Remember that she was at Roundhay School during the 1980s. So, you know, in the heart of Thatcherism and all the cuts, um, which was so damaging to so many young people. Um, completely sk skips over the fact that she grew up during the 80s um, in the in the midst of cuts and said that, that she went to a, a poor school because a Labour Council, Leeds City Council, was more bothered about political correctness than children in schools or something along those lines. I was just like, what? 
what what is this? I mean, this is your one opportunity as the prime minister. You've just had the worst start to your premiership of any prime minister ever. The market, the country's in a mess. You've spooked the markets. Everything's tanking. And you're spending your time trying to bash with your one opportunity to try and to steady the ship, bashing lead city councils, education policies in the 80s. I mean, what is going on here? Really, really, really frustrated me. But I would say that because I'm on lead city council. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get you. I, I have a couple of comments on that. One is that it's quite an interesting point that she said that Leeds City Council was too focused on political correctness in the 80s because I did my dissertation for my undergraduate degree um, in history on the relationship between like liberation movements and the Labour Party in the 1980s and in the feminist section Leeds City Council came up quite a bit and there was quite a bit of very fair in my opinion criticism of Leeds City Council because they weren't dedicated enough to equalities policies for women and were actually quite hostile towards it. This, yeah. sub, this consisted of about four pages of my disc. So it's just absolutely bizarre to me that she's saying, oh, there were all these equalities policies in Leeds that were bad. Because one, equalities policies are never a bad thing. And two, point to me what you're on about, because my archival research couldn't really find it. Um, like, there was quite a bit of hostility to change. My second point is that Tess is absolutely right with the lack of substance. And it's weird to me that she seems to... We Keir Starmer got on stage and defined himself as what he is. This is what I'm going to do. This is what my plan is. This is what my country, you know, Labour under. This is what the UK will look like under a Labour government. Liz Truss got up and said, "I don't like the anti-growth coalition. I'm not the anti-growth coalition. The anti-growth coalition are rubbish." And she (laughs) defined herself into as the opposite of this absolutely invented anti-growth coalition. Uh, listeners can't see the air quotes I'm doing right now (laughs) and it's like I said it's such a stark contrast we've got one person who's defined themselves by what they're going to do what their government will look like and someone else who's thought crap I've got to fill 25 minutes what can I bang on about that's what it feels like yeah the other thing is is that when she's bashing her upbringing and her school and the area she grew up in she's doing it because she's trying to create link herself to a personal story of aspiration yes this whole idea of an absolutely aspiration nation but when when i speak to like friends of mine who are tory party members who went to conference they you know and they do have a particular sort of slightly more working class and they do really connect to this idea of aspirational toryism right sure but but they say you know her policies completely contradict that they're mm. they're the reason they like the idea of a low tax nation is because they like the idea of the working class paying less tax, of working people yeah. paying less tax, having more money in their pockets, all this kind of thing. And what she's done is she the the working age people have a huge tax burden and she's lifted the cap on bankers' bonuses. And yes, she's now U-turned, but was going to cut the top rate of tax which doesn't say anything about aspiration. What it says is, if you're already extremely wealthy, we will reward you. And if you're aspiring to be wealthy, we will punish you, which for a lot of Tories is actually the opposite of what they believe in as well. Totally, totally agree. Um, and I, I and very much agree with what you said, Abby, about um, about Leeds Labour Party in the 80s. I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I never had the idea that it was a bastion of 
you know, identity politics back in the 80s. It, I just don't get that feeling. So, you know, it, it was a, a, anachronistic and again, just pointing to um, culture wars. And, and I think maybe showing where where she's going to go with her politics and, and that sort of putting a fire back under um, culture wars to try to try and divide and draw attention away from her policies and the disaster that's that she's created her and crazy quartang have created with the country's finances okay well i think we've done a good job there of bashing the tories it was so easy it's shooting fish in a barrel at the moment isn't it <laughs> It, it really is. It's so much fair. fun. I mean, it doesn't at all. But like, you know, we're kicking them while they're down. But I will continue to do that. Oh, they they need to be kicked while they're down. Oh, and continue to be kicked. Hopefully, they never they get back to... up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you both for joining me, my fellow co-hosts. Really pleased to be able to say that. And hopefully, we'll shall hear from you both in the next couple of weeks for our more frequent podcasts. So, thank you both very very much. Of course, thank you for having us on, James. Thank you.